When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett, and this is episode number 67 of the podcast. And today, we're going to react to one of the greatest games in San Francisco 49ers regular season history. And what I am dubbing the SoFi sensation, including an awful first half from the 49ers, the miraculous second half comeback, and finally, giving credit to where it is due to Demeco Ryan's Jimmy Garoppolo and oh my goodness ladies and gentlemen i do not even know how to describe what we witnessed yesterday starting at 125 pacific standard time and ending around 4:30 after overtime Just an insane game from beginning to end. It was nothing, nothing like many of us expected it to be. Some said the Niners were going to kill them. Some said the Rams were going to win. And it had every element of those uh, guesses and predictions in there mixed in some way. But the ending and what we actually saw on the field was something to behold. I mean, from awful first half. Jimmy was just, oh, we had no rushing attack early. The Rams were dominating us in every fashion. And then this awesome historical comeback by the San Francisco 49ers. And with the win, with their 27 to 24 overtime win, the Niners advance to 10 and 7 on the season. They finally clinch the sixth seed in the playoffs, and will play the Dallas Cowboys in the divisional wild card round, excuse me, wild card round of the playoffs for the first time since the 1994 NFC title game. Talk about a 2021-2022 NFL season. The Niners' 17-point comeback was the largest comeback in the Kyle Shanahan era. And it was the ninth biggest comeback in 49er franchise history. Not only was it a regular season comeback when it was to clinch the playoffs and it was on the road against arguably in the Shanahan era your biggest division rival. It marked the fourth time in the past 30 years. Think about the errors in there. That's Jimmy, Kaepernick, Smith, Garcia, and the tail end of Steve Young that San Francisco has overcome a deficit of 17 or more points to win. And at one point in this game, to cap off the historic event that we witnessed 
on Sunday. The Niners had the lowest win probability of 0.4% of any team to eventually win a game since Next Gen Stats started tracking games in 2016. So the lowest win probability of 0.4 since 2016. To give you some context there, uh, that is lower than the Patriots coming back to win down 28-3. to The Niners had a lower chance of winning than the 28-3 to game. Like, you have to be kidding me. I do not want to let this go because we witnessed history. Sometimes it's hard when you live in a moment uh, to understand uh, the how much weight it carries. Now, there are certain things, at least in my lifetime, that I noticed uh, that I can say, wow, again, 28-3 to being one of them, albeit not a Patriots fan, not a Falcons fan by any means, but... Those are big moments you see. Giants versus Patriots trying to get 19-0. Eli to Plaxico Burris in the back of the end zone. Moments like that that you witness and you go, wow. You know, James Harrison, 99-yard touchdown interception uh, versus the Cardinals in the Super Bowl. Moments like that. Now, while yesterday probably wouldn't be on that level of historic moments if you rank them, it's up there for sure, at least in Niner history. Like, what we witnessed yesterday doesn't happen. Literally, it was the greatest comeback per next-gen stats since 2016. Like, what? <laughs> like, and I'm not trying to, 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 you know, harp on this. Like, I want us to understand that what we witnessed wasn't just an amazing comeback, an incredible comeback. Albeit it was that. No, no. This was something, like, we witnessed history. We witnessed a moment in time that will live on forever and ever and ever and ever in 49er franchise history. For Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan, this is arguably one of the biggest wins, if not the biggest win in franchise history during their time in San Francisco. An incredible game. An incredible game. And the funny thing is, the best way to appreciate this win, like this, on the road, SoFi Stadium, half the stadium packed with Niner fans, a sea of red was out there, just shaking that stadium on the road. The best way to appreciate a win like this is to start where it all began. That's not, you know, kickoff, that's not in pregame warmups. that's the week prior. <laughs> the entire week was, who's going to play quarterback? Right? Is it Trey? Is it Jimmy? The COVID hits us. Who is going to play? Is Jimmy Ward going to play? Is Kaylon Williams going to play? Is Trent Williams' elbow going to be healthy? What's going on? Is Jimmy healthy enough to play? We don't know. And all of the anxiety, the nervousness. Can San Francisco continue to beat the Rams? Can they beat them twice in a row? They're playing for something as well. They're playing for the division at home. They're fully healthy, fully rested up. Using the quarterback they traded two first-round picks for, traded their starting quarterback for in the offseason. Someone that Kyle Shanahan himself admitted he was jealous of Sean McVay for getting. Aaron Donald, Von Miller, OBJ, they acquired two big names at the trade deadline. 
all this culminating, which is the reason why I titled the podcast before the game Culmination. This was an entire off-season arc that led from off-season to draft to trade deadline to now of what is this season going to look like, the ups and the downs. And don't get me wrong, there is still another game to go next week. The story is not over. But appreciating this game against the Rams, you have to look at the entire picture, paint the entire picture, because it makes it even more special. Even more special. Again, the week prior to who's going to play, who's not going to play, COVID, all this stuff, going into pregame warm-ups, Ian Rappaport tweeted a tweet at 3.04 in the morning Pacific Standard Time on Sunday. The morning of the game. Well, everybody else was asleep. I was not. And I said, why is Rap Sheet tweeting at 3.04 in the morning just to say Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the expected starter? I myself went back to sleep dreaming of, was that all in my head? Like, did I, did I... See that right? And I see nobody's reporting it. Nobody. I wake up and I go, what? <laughs> like, again, did I did I imagine that? Only to go back on Rap Sheet's Twitter account and see, no, no, no. No one saw this. <laughs> no one saw this. So I tweeted out. I put it on Instagram at 49ers.access. 49ers.access. Nice plug there for myself. But anyways, I see it and I'm like, I have to... I have to tell somebody because no one is seeing this. No one reported it. And then we go into pregame. And it's like, how is Jimmy's thumb going to hold up? Shanahan hasn't announced a starter yet. And we're still kind of wondering what's going on. And we're hearing reports of Lance is warming up. Jimmy's warming up. Then we get the big news. Trent Williams can't play. And collectively, the fan base goes, oh. And it was like the hope. The, the anticipation was sucked out of the room. The confidence was gone. It was like one of those space bags where you put in and it sucks all the air out of it and deflates the entire thing into a small, thin package you can place in your closets. That what it was like for the fan base. I'm in plenty of group chats. Everybody was like, Trent's out. Oh my God. Oh my God. Who's playing left tackle? We had no McGlinchey. The COVID's hitting us. Like, oh my God. Everybody's freaking out. And you go into Sunday's game. And before the game started, I put out an Instagram post again at 49ers.access because I went into this game aware, like many of you were, that this could be Jimmy Garoppolo's final game. Like I said on the podcast, this could be the end had we lost or had the Saints won. This would have been the end of the Jimmy Garoppolo era in San Francisco. This would have been the culmination at the end of our journey together. And I went into Sunday kind of emotional, not in regards to some, I'm, I'm going to cry or whatnot, but I went into the game thinking this was our last ride. Well, I did pick San Francisco to win. There's always that worry, right? And when Trent got you know inactive and k couldn't get cleared, uh, didn't have COVID anymore, but this wasn't healthy enough, it hit him harder than the other guys did, I went into the game thinking, all right, Jimmy, as a fan base, as someone who likes you on this team, who has enjoyed your presence, who likes you as a human being, who has rooted for you for almost five years now, I went into Sunday thinking, this is our last ride together. That this could be the end of our journey. And I put it on Instagram, and I'll read it for you here. I said, today we fight for the name on the front of the jersey. 
for the pride of San Francisco and the pride of all the Bay Area. Today we fight for the playoffs, but also fight for the name on the back of the jersey. Jimmy Garoppolo. This is truly the end. This is truly where our journey together ends. Do not go down quietly. Don't tuck your tail and run. Stand up and fight. Go until your body gives out, until the clock hits zero. This is it. Our last ride together as a quarterback in a fan base. You better saddle up, because we're riding together with you. Today's for the Niners, for San Francisco, for the playoffs, and for Jimmy Garoppolo. That's how I went in to Sunday's game. And like many of you, you were emotional. What's going to happen? And when that first half hits, you're thinking, oh my god, this truly is the end. We're down 17 to nothing. Trent Williams ain't playing. Colton McKivitz, who hasn't played a snap all year, is playing left tackle. Tom Compton's playing right tackle. The earth is falling. Where is Chicken Little? Where are the aliens? Where is Zach Braff? <laughs> the sky is literally falling, and nobody can stop it. San Francisco in that first half was dominated from the trenches to defensively, offensively, Jimmy couldn't throw it all, couldn't hit a receiver for his life, there was no consistency, it looked very much like that Dolphins game in 2020, where Jimmy came back too soon, he shouldn't have played, he tried to battle it out, it wasn't worth it, he gets benched at halftime, everything was looking like that's what it was leading to. He had the one bad INT, he floated it up there, just missed his target completely, the Rams were shutting us down. The run game was non-existent. We had less than 20 rushing yards in the first half. In the first freaking half. This Shanahan run offense had less than 20 yards. In fact, at one point in the first half, the Rams were winning 17 to nothing. With 6 minutes and 44 seconds left in the second quarter. Not the first quarter. Not the, you know, the first drive. Within the second quarter. And they were out yarding us. <laughs> Whatever the term you want to use. 136 to negative 3 yards. <laughs> we had negative 3 yards. Over almost 2 quarters into the game. Almost 2 quarters. People were calling for Trey Lance. I put on Twitter, I go, this is pathetic. This is what you're going to give on what appeared to be our last ride together. Whether it was Jimmy or at least our final hurrah in an 18-game season. After all we've been through, the awful wins, the awful losses, the good wins, the bad wins at times, the bad losses. Really, there has been no consistency. And this is the product you're putting on the field. Everybody stinks. We can't stop a third down. In the first drive alone for the Rams, they were inside their own 15-yard line. We had them like third and 12. We couldn't stop them. Stafford hits OBJ on a big third down catch. A great catch by him, by the way, OBJ. But we couldn't stop anybody. They were passing the ball. They were were moving down the field. Every time it seemed like the defense was going to set the tone, they faltered. And it wasn't like a cheap you know, flag. No, these were big chunk plays. Our defense played well on first and second down only to fall on that third down. And it was like, here we are. And thankfully, we held in the third uh, to, to three points on that first drive. 
You're like, oh, it's not that bad. Ben not break defense. Been doing it all year. But the offense couldn't do anything. Again, six minutes and 44 seconds into the second quarter, we had negative three yards. Jimmy gets the ball smacked out of his hand, which it seemed like no effort at all. Like the ball just like glitched out of his hand and he threw it back 15 yards. It was awful. Like, the first half of this game, I'm sure you all thought this, was what the heck is going on? And it was so crazy. And the Rams believed they were dominating us because they were. Physically, in the trenches, every single place we thought as a fan base we could dominate. Where, where we had dominated in the past, the Rams were just outplaying us. They were throwing our guys to the side, knocking our running backs down. They couldn't get any more yak. It was just a bad performance. It was like they came down amped up to 11, and we were like, eh, week 18. Okay, cool. Like, what, what are we playing for here? Now, there was effort, obviously, but it was just... There was nothing to look at and go, that's promising. It was like, this season's over with. Like, I'm, I'm sitting in 95-7 the game, watching it with the guys in the back who work, you know, as producers and board ops, and we're thinking, what? Like, this game's over. And, you know, quietly, I think everybody had this confidence that nobody wanted to say anything because it looks so bad. And if you put on Twitter or say out loud, like, why trust my team? It's like, dude, shut up. Like, they're 17 nothing. They look awful. They're not, like, this game could easily be 35-7 to by the time regulation's over with. And to put it in perspective, Sean McVay is out there in the end zone celebrating touchdowns with his team. Like, getting away with that. That's, like, the Rams were so confident that they were going to win this game. And by all means, I understand why they felt that way. Sean McVay is in the end zone jumping up and down, celebrating, patting his guy's helmet. Tyler, hey, yeah, we got a touchdown, 10 nothing. Like, what? <laughs> like... That's how bad it was. Like, to me, that's the lowest of the low. Like, imagine Pete Carroll doing that stuff. Running in the end zone, jumping on, you know, DK Metcalf or Russell Wilson. And you're just like, I hate all of this. Like, we're being embarrassed in the final game of the year. We're going to let Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon in book. Whoever's playing quarterback for the Saints week by week, which Simeon and Hill both did play because Hill got hurt. We're going to let them go to the playoffs? Let them play the number two seed? Now it'll, be a, now it'll be the Cowboys, but let them play the Dallas Cowboys? Like, whoa. Like, this is an... Like, to quote Esteban, Julio, Ricardo, De La Rosa, Ramirez from <laughs> Zach and Cody from Disney Channel, this is a disaster! Like, it was awful. <laughs> In every meaning of the word disaster, that's what it was. And to give you some perspective here as to how bad it actually was, Matthew Stafford, we talked about in the last podcast, how he has kind of been slumping, but a slumper Matthew Stafford really isn't too bad, but he has been more turnover prone, right? Last three weeks, 2.3 turnovers per game, 1.7 sacks, he's the most pick sixes the last two years in the league. Like, there are things to look at and go, he will give you the ball. And... That first half, Matthew Stafford was 15 for 16, 153 yards, two touchdowns, and a rating of 146.1. Like, that first half of the game, we got first half of the season Matthew Stafford, who was hitting 309 yards per game, at 70 comp percentage, almost 10 yards per attempt, who, was, who had almost three touchdowns a game, and one turnover. Like, that looked like 
you know, weeks one through eight, Matthew Stafford. But then, as soon as they got that, I guess, second touchdown where Ambry Thomas was guarding Tyler Higby, after McVay celebrates, they go down and score again because Jimmy's INT, and it's 17 nothing because you got like a 5-9 cornerback guarding like a 6-3 tight end. Like, it just doesn't work. Jimmy Ward gets beat as well. There's miscommunication in secondary, and we're down 17 nothing. And I don't know what changed. I don't... The Rams went and prevent defense. And Jimmy said, okay, here we go. And he hits Sayuk on a big route. You know, he starts hitting guys left and right. Hits Debo for one. And you're just like, where where has this been the whole first half? Where has this been? Like, this is... If your thumb could do this, if if the thumb wasn't hindering you at all why couldn't you do this in the first half? But I will say that, not to say it was the Rams' fault, but the Rams going in to prevent defense opened up those pockets for Jimmy to throw it, got him his confidence back, got the offense momentum moving, and, well, they didn't score a touchdown. They got a field goal. That was that showed you how important that opening kickoff was in regards to winning the coin toss. Because... Had the Niners lost the coin toss, the Rams likely would have deferred, which means San Francisco would have got the ball to begin the game, which if that was the offense performance they would have had on the field, it would be 17-0 likely, and the Rams are getting the ball in the second half, and it's 3-17 with the Rams ball. And it's like, well, great. Momentum is pretty much non-existent, but how important that you know that coin toss was to begin the game was in, okay, look, we get a field goal here. We can score again after halftime. Now we're only down by one touchdown. And then that's when the spark hit. Don't don't uh, mind my, my snapping in the background, but <laughs> that's when the spark clicked. And the entire second half changed. Matthew Stafford in that second half, 6 for 16, including overtime, obviously. 6 for 16, only 85 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, one to Mayla Mosley, who was back off IR, great for him. And of course, the game-stealing, game-winning INT to Ambry Thomas uh, on the right side of the field, Stafford going for a deep ball. Thomas said, I know I dropped four picks the last couple weeks, but I'm not going to drop this one. Uh, And of course, Stafford's rating was 36.7. Just a complete, utter switch. Like, it, again, it was like someone just shifted the pendulum and it was all Rams, then it was all Niners. And I want to keep talking about that first half here because going into this game, the Rams had the number one pass-blocking win rate, meaning that they were allowing uh, some of the, the least amount of pressures in the league, their quarterback wasn't getting hit as much, uh, and Matthew Stafford came into this game really having not been hit too much. And again, against a fairly good Rams uh, pass blocking, the Matthew Stafford on Sunday really wasn't touching that first half at all. It was that second half that clicked. He was only pressured and hit two times in that first half. In the second half, though, he was pressured 11 times. 11 times out of his 19 dropbacks, he was pressured and hit. That is a pressure on 58% of his dropbacks the entire game. And it's their highest for San Francisco in any half this year. San Francisco's defensive line deserves all the credit in the world. For the entire game itself, not just second half, 
The Niners pressured Matthew Stafford 37.8 of his dropbacks, and they only blitzed 16% of the time. Against a good offensive line, San Francisco's D-line, led by Demeco Ryans and Chris Kosarek, dominated them. Dominated. Another factor as to why that pendulum shifted over. The defensive line started getting pressure and getting hits and forcing Stafford to make quicker throws, find quicker targets, but maybe force throws he wasn't doing so in the first half. He had all day in the first half. All day. Second half, com- complete change. And really, and I want to point out some players here, credit goes to Eric Armstead. Eric Armstead had arguably his greatest game of his entire career and the biggest moment ever outside of the, the game we don't talk about back in Miami in 2019. But Armstead had two and a half sacks, two tackles for losses, seven tackles. And he also had a critical, I mean a critical, critical sack in the fourth quarter as the Rams were marching down with 24 seconds left on the clock. He knocked them out of field goal range. Just a veteran player getting paid big money who has shown up all year, but now showing up in the biggest moments of his entire career. And the biggest moment of the season, out of all the guys you want to show up, you think, oh, it's Bosa, or it's or, or it's Warner. No, it's the other guy getting paid big money to do these things, and is finally doing them. It's great stuff. He deserves recognition for what he did on Sunday. Phenomenal stuff. Nick Bosa didn't have his best game. Did not have his best game by any means. But he had four pressures, a couple tackle for losses. He was pivotal in the win and the... The change in that second half. And since week 18, or 14, excuse me, Bosa has 26 pressures that leads the NFL. He has five plus pressures in four out of his last five games. After tearing his ACL, the questions were, you know, what's this guy going to look like? Well, post-ACL, he played all 18 games this year. He had 52 tackles. 15 and a half sacks, four forced fumbles, 21 tackles for loss, 32 quarterback hits, one pass deflection. All of that, even after missing a year, having the highest double team rate in the National Football League. That's TJ Watt doesn't match that rate. Like, teams are respecting Nick Bosa more. Then they're respecting T.J. Watt, who is an amazing player. Who is defense of the year caliber, who almost broke Michael Strahan's sack record. Teams are respecting Nick Bosa more than T.J. Watt. And we can't forget Arden Key. Arden Key in his first 11 games this year, he had 134 pass rushes, only 12 QB pressures. It's a pressure rate of 9. 9% of his snaps, he's getting a pressure. The last six games, so week 12 and on, or 13 and on, excuse me, 106 pass rushes, 24 quarterback pressures, a pressure rate of 22.6. You want to talk about Kerry Hyder 2.0 and arguably better than Kerry Hyder? you got to bring this guy back. And if obviously money's an issue, you can't, but don't let this guy get away. I've told you before, he's a valuable piece of this defensive line and what the identity of this defense is. He can be their D4 replacement. He fell into your lap for cheap. Pay this man. Pay this man. The other question was, you know, 
how can this Niners defense stop the run? And they came into this game already being a top-run defense in the NFL. The last time they faced the Rams, only allowed 52 yards in Week 10, and they had only allowed one 100-yard rushing performance the last eight weeks that was against Seattle. So we came into the game confident, but Sonny Michelle was averaging 99 yards since being named the starter in Week 13. It was, you know, there is a revitalized Rams rushing attack. Kim Akers back off the uh, the torn Achilles. We talked about might want to get him going somewhat, get him some touches early, and see where he's at. The Rams could not run the football, and. It was almost like the Bengals game to a certain degree where every single time they ran the ball, you cheered. We stopped them. Like, keep running it, please. We we can stop you there. We can't stop Stafford now in the first half. As long as Cup is not touching the ball, we're going to be fine. As long as Higby isn't getting red zone targets, we're going to be fine. Every time Michelle and Aker touched that ball, we audibly cheered in the studio. Like, yes, keep running, please. We can stop that. San Francisco held Akers and Michelle to 46 yards on the ground combined. Just incredible. If you take out Cooper Cup's 18-yard run, Akers and Michelle averaged 1.7 yards per carry. Per carry. That is what the <laughs> What, like, that's that's almost unfathomable that a team as good as the Rams, the Rams are a really good team. We cannot underestimate that. They're the NFC West division winner by two games ahead of us, one game over Arizona. They're a really good team that has a good quarterback, the best receiver in the league, a good tight end, a good offensive line, a really good defense. Like, this is... The fact that San Francisco pulled off this performance in this game, like, and I know many of us maybe expected that, but like, again, we cannot overlook how crazy this was. The other question was, who's guarding Cooper Cup? Who's guarding OBJ? Cooper Cup, Kalen Williams can't play. You're getting no Kalen Williams. He, he can't play. He's your nickelback. Well, Cup lines up in the slot primarily. Who's going to guard him? Is it Mosley? Is it Ward? Is it Amber Thomas? Is it Josh Norman? Who's it going to be? Well, the answer was pretty much nobody, but <laughs> but it was Dante Johnson, number 27, the Barnacle, as Oscar Operatio calls him on Better Rivals Podcast. Dante Johnson allowed a catch every single time he was targeted. The Cooper Cup got his. He beat Jimmy Ward in coverage twice for touchdowns. Like, <laughs> like Cooper Cup got his. He had seven catches, 118 yards, one touchdown. Just, I talked about it before the, the the game, the last podcast was, anybody else but Cooper Cup can beat you. If it's OBJ, let him. If, if it's Higby, let him. Like, anybody else. And even OBJ came into this week playing better football, but I told you why I'm not scared of OBJ. He doesn't scare me. And I think we saw on Sunday, he doesn't scare anybody. He doesn't scare Kyle Shanahan at all, nor should he. OBJ had two catches for 18 yards. That's it. It was literally Cooper Cup and Tyler Higby. And don't get me wrong, really good players. Some of the best in the league. But literally, had Cooper Cup not been playing, 
This game is entirely different. Now, I understand that's how the NFL works if Devontae Adams isn't playing or Debo Samuel isn't playing. The Packers and Niners aren't as good, obviously. But my point more so is, is that literally anybody else was supposed to beat you outside of Cooper Cup, and Cooper Cup still got his. Now, the good thing is, Williams should be back next week against the Cowboys. Tano Hufanga, who got hurt in this game, will hopefully be back. Aziz Alshire might be back next week. Mo Hurst could be back. Like, Trey Sermon could be back. Now, albeit may not want that, but... Like, we're getting even healthier. Trent Williams will hopefully be back after another week of treatment on the elbow. It's just... We're getting healthy, and we put on a performance like this still. Like, please, if you're listening out there, please, like, take in what I'm saying and understand that this is almost unprecedented. I want to read you off a stat for one second here, and it's really about the credit going to Demeco Ryans, because this is all this conversation has been about, right, of... You know, starting from, fire Demeco. he's awful after the Packers game, which, I don't get the firing part, but I understand the idea of being upset after the game, because why wouldn't you be? But, when looking at Demeco Ryans, I think it's important to understand that rookie defensive coordinator, he had his issues for sure. There were going to be growing pains with him. We heard Kyle Shanahan was calling plays, uh, for Demeco at times. It's like, that's not things you want to hear, but at least against the Rams, Demeco Ryans literally schemed or game plan, whatever word you want to use, the best two-game performance against the Rams this year. Week 10 held the Rams to 278 rushing yards, the second lowest against them all season. 52 rushing yards, 226 passing yards. Week 18. Week 18 against the Rams. Demeco Ryans and his scheme held the Rams to 265 total yards, outperforming his prior Week 10 outing. He held them to the lowest yards and technically... The two lowest yards totals they've had all year and got better the second go-around. 64 rushing yards and 201 passing yards when you take away the sacks that Stafford had, which takes away his passing yards. Like, Demeco Ryans literally schemed a better game on Sunday in an overtime win than he did in Week 10. Like, folks, please understand... Demeco Ryans shouldn't be fired. And I can argue what Demeco Ryans is showing, despite having better players, I understand that, he's showing more, showing more growth than Robert Sala. He's showing more promise than Robert Sala. And I love Robert Sala. Why wouldn't you love Robert Sala? I'd go to war with Robert Sala. He'd be my hype man, <laughs> hitting my chest, getting me jacked in the gym yelling at me and getting me hyped up, pumped up, ready to just destroy a defensive or offensive lineman. But Demeco Ryans, who maybe is a little more quiet and composed, he's a better defensive coordinator right now. The Niners finished as the number three total defense in football. Despite Verrett being out, Mosley missing time, Tartan Ward missing time, 
Alshire and Greenlaw missing time, not having D Ford, Ebukam being non-existent earlier in the year despite paying him big money. I'm telling you, despite the secondary issues we've had, the Niners are the number three ranked defense in football. I bet you never thought you'd hear that this year. Never. Of everything we've heard, of all of the issues they've had, I bet you never thought we'd hear that. Never. At a certain point, I didn't think we'd hear that at all. But that goes back to winning where it matters most. And that's the trenches. As soon as San Francisco started winning in the trenches in that second half defensively, it totally flipped this game. The field goal before halftime definitely helped. When Ram is going to prevent defense, it opens up the bubbles for Jimmy to throw to open receivers, gets him more yards, get you some points, build momentum. Then the second half starts. Debo's running around. Mitchell's running the ball more effectively. Hasey's getting some touches. Jimmy's you know, hitting guys. He's the, like the confidence builds up. Then Debo, <laughs> then Debo goes out there, does what he does, runs for a gigantic touchdown, and then the next drive for the Rams becomes the biggest play of the game, where the offense has got this team back in the game. The defense kept them in the game for as much as they could, and the offense got them back in the game with their two consecutive drives to make it 10-17. And I said to the guys in the studio, and we all kind of agreed collectively, which Kyle Madsen um, from the Candlestick Chronicles was there, and other guys at 95.7 The Game were there. Um, we were talking, and like, like this is the biggest defensive you know, stand or drive of the game for us. If we can get this ball back and stop momentum and shut the Rams down again, and at least, at least make it 13-17, to give the Rams this, this like, oh my god. To shock them of like, you scored 17 points in the first half. Should have been more, most likely. We just scored 17 straight points in three consecutive drives and only had to stop you on defense once. Like, that's how you change momentum quickly. And as soon as San Francisco started winning in the trenches, getting momentum, it was up to the defense to continue that and hit that spark even harder. To hit that emergency button, fire alarm button, in the in the Rams' head to go, oh my god, look what we've let happen to us. Look what San Francisco did. And it wasn't just like the Rams were only playing prevent. No, no, no. The Niners literally grabbed the handle of that door, kicked it down, broke it down, and said, we are going to play smash mouth football. And before halftime, or before the second half started, I put on Twitter, and I said, look, is this the end? Like, this is pathetic. Is this where you're going to let, you know, is this is this the performance you're going to have define your season? Is this what you're going to, you know, be the last taste in fans' mouths? No. Or are you going to put up or shut up? Is this the time where you just lay down and die? Or do you pick yourself back up? You're going to lower your head or and, and punch somebody in the mouth. And what'd they do? What did San Francisco do? I'm not saying I'm responsible for the turnaround by any means, but they literally lowered their heads, broke that freaking door down, and punched these Rams in the mouth. Shocked them. 
You know when you walk into a fighting ring, if you're feel like boxing in UFC, and there's a real cocky guy, and you pop him once, and it kind of like, whoa, it kind of shakes him, like their confidence gets shaken, the morale gets kind of broken, it shocks them so much that it, it kind of puts fear in them. That's what happened in that second half. And again, this goes back to our conversation in the last podcast of how can you neutralize Aaron Donald? How can you neutralize Von Miller? How can an offensive line of Colton McKivitz and Tomlinson and Mack and Brunskill and, and Tom Compton win a game like this? Because coming into this game, the Rams were the number set, number one ranked run defense in football. Just an incredible turnaround. They were 17th weeks 1 through 8, weeks 8 through 17, number one. They turned around their entire year in regards to run defense. And they looked like the number one run defense in the NFL in that first half. We had nine rushing yards in the first half. Nine! It's not like German Nazi, which is awful. You never want to be one of those. <laughs> you don't want to have nine rushing yards in the first half. Yet, we turned it around, started punching those guys in the mouth, neutralizing Aaron Donald, neutralizing Von Miller, and we finished with 135 rushing yards. We had 126 rushing yards in that second half alone. Alone. And that's how you beat this Rams team. The last four games San Francisco has played against this Rams team, dating back to last year, Jimmy Garoppolo's return off the injury, remember, in prime time, maybe it was Monday night football, maybe it was Sunday night, but it was a prime time game for sure. 37 rushing yards, 120, excuse me, 37 rushes, 122 rushing yards, then 33 rushes, 112 rushing yards, then 44 rushes, 156 rushing yards, then 31 rushes, then 135 rushing yards this past week. We have the formula to beat them. And it literally switched as soon as we got that fuel goal, as soon as we started punching them in the mouth again, and it all changed. And it's because we have guys like Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and even Juwan Jennings because George Kittle was non-existent. He was relegated pretty much to blocking, like I said, due to Trent Williams being out, uh, due to Tom Compton needing help on the right side of the offensive line to help neutralize guys like um, Donald like Miller, like Leonard Floyd, like, I, I told you, this is a game where Kittle could either go for big money receiving yards if Williams plays, but if Williams can't play, Kittle will be, you know, going to be a blocking tight end for the majority of this game, and he was. And I expected that. But Debo Samuel, we talked about it, came into this game owning the Rams. Owning the Rams. Well, that continued on Sunday. Debo Samuel had two touchdowns, one rushing, and they did the exact same play they tried against the Houston Texans where Debo tries to throw a touchdown pass. This time he hits Jawan Jennings in the end zone to tie the game 17-17. Got Jawan his first touchdown of the game. Got San Francisco back right next to the Rams. Tied the game up 17-17. Debo had... 13 touches, 164 total yards. His one rushing touchdown gave him 8 on the year, which is the most for a receiver in NFL history for a single season. He also finished this year with 
18.2 yards per catch, which is first amongst receivers, and 6.2 yards per carry, which is second among all skill players. The best Swiss Army Knife offensive weapon, and at this point, now you can get him receiver, running back, and a quarterback title. It's Debo Samuel by far. By far. Then Brandon Ayuk had 16 catches, 107 yards, 17.8 yards per catch. He was pivotal in getting San Francisco that field goal prior to halftime. Big catch after big catch. Some of the quietest big games we've seen all year was the Vikings game where he had like 94 yards and 6 receptions. This game, a quiet 6 catches and 107 yards. It's, Brandon Ayuk is going to get underappreciated, but he's he's been a really good receiver. A really good one. Then, of course, I can't forget Jawan Jennings. I cannot forget Jawan Jennings, and nor should we. This has been the come-out party for Jawan Jennings' uh, Minnesota week and on. Now, he's had some issues, dropping some passes, almost had a fumble against the Bengals, but Jawan Jennings is pretty much Kendrick Bourne 2.0, and if you're like me, you love Kendrick Bourne. He was someone when they got rid of him, albeit got big money, congrats to him in New England, but... You miss the energy. You miss the clutchness he brought to this team. And the question was, who's going to be receiver number three? For a long time, we were holding out hope he'd be Jalen Hurd. We were holding out hope it might be a Trent Taylor or a Dante Pettis. And that never, you know, never visualized. And it never came to be for San Francisco. All three of those guys are gone now. Then it was, well, is it Mohamed Sanu? Is it Travis Benjamin? Is it River Craycraft? Who's going to step up in the absence uh, or after KB is gone. And Juwan Jennings has done so uh, the last few weeks of the year. And to finish his season, he had 24 receptions, 282 total yards, and five touchdowns. In this game against the Rams, he had six catches, 94 yards, and two touchdowns, of course, one from Debo. And while both were huge touchdowns, I could argue the biggest touchdown of the season being the game-tying touchdown for Jimmy Garoppolo late in the fourth quarter. Just clutch after clutch catch from Jennings. 15 of his 24 receptions were for first downs or touchdowns, and eight of those catches were on third down. If you, if I replaced Juwan Jennings' name with Kendrick Bourne, you would think it was just Kendrick Bourne. That's Kendrick Bourne with Jawan Jennings, and in my opinion, despite having some drop problems, has shown more promise at this point in his career. This is only year two for Jennings. He has shown more promise uh, than Bourne had at this point in their career. Now, KB's a good receiver in New England. He was a good receiver here. I loved him. But what Jennings is doing now is more promising. And if he continues this and go back and watch, I forgot who had it on Twitter. But there's a video of John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan when Jennings got drafted, zooming or, or, or having a Zoom call with him. And you can tell Jennings just seemed, he was so happy. He was like grateful to be drafted. He was, it, There were some issues with him coming out of college of, of some personal things, some, some attitude things. And which is weird because hearing him talk, seeing him talk, you wouldn't expect that at all. Like... Everything you heard about him, how he had some issues off the field, like you wouldn't expect that whatsoever because he seems like a genuinely nice guy. But you can tell he felt grateful. And, and you can tell after the game, he was walking off the field, that 
you can tell there was like this kid-like joy coming out of him. And that's one thing I always love from athletes who were 20s, who have been to college, who maybe didn't come from the best background. Not saying that's Jennings by any means, but just saying in some cases. Um, or guys who have been in the league for 30, you know, for, for 15 years, 20 years, however long they've been in. Like, when you can see a kid-like joy from an athlete who, in this case, Jennings is young, but has been to college, has played in the league for two years now, has had a journey to get here, a seventh-round pick, almost a roster cut, you can see there's an appreciation for the moment of, wow, like, I'm going to the playoffs. I'm playing for the 49ers, one of the greatest franchises of all time, I'm so grateful for where I'm at right now. And that's a beautiful thing. Jennings always uh, seems to show his appreciation with that big smile of his. And it's one of the things we love about Kendrick Bourne, right? The big smile, the energy he brought. Jennings brings that too. But in the return side, both those guys are dogs, right? They're physical athletes. They'll tear you down. They'll run you over. They want to hit you hard. And I think Jennings, even more so than Bourne does, he wants to lay some wood. He wants to knock you out. Just like Debo does. Jennings had a huge catch uh, on on the sideline, which is running through guys, kind of made a spin, and just bulldozing guys wouldn't go down. Wouldn't go down. And I think Juwan Jennings, and this is where I want to kind of transition here because there's so much to talk about still. I haven't even started talking about Jimmy G yet. I haven't talked about the quarterback at all. And I think... What Jennings has is that resiliency, right? Not just to go down, but when the clock keeps ticking down, you know, 25, 24, 23, it goes all the way down to one, there is no quit. There is no quit in Jennings. And that really, just like Debo and Kittle and Ayuk and the entire offensive line and the defense, not to say this stems from Jimmy Garoppolo, but he's a great example of really any player of who you want to be. Maybe not on the field and the play exactly, stick with me here, but the grit, the grind, the never give up mentality in Jimmy G. Because let's be clear, uh, Jimmy sucked in that first half. Jimmy Garoppolo was awful, awful. And every single person that was asking for Trey Lance, who was like, see, I told you so, should Trey Lance should have started. I... I, I I understand where you were in, in that first half. I think everybody was. I think it was like, oh my God, we've made a mistake. For those of us who thought Jimmy should have started, or there was a thought who was he was he was healthy enough to start. It was oh my goodness, we have made a critical mistake. We have cost ourselves the playoffs. It's over. Put in Lance. Season's done. Wrap it up. Put a bow on it. Just you got to get Lance in there to to give us some momentum. And if you thought that, I have no problem. I, I totally understand where you're coming from. There was a part of me that thought the same thing. It was like, well, this game's over with. You might as well put in Lance and see what he can do. Like, well, what do you have to lose? Right? Like, that was the mentality. Because Jimmy had one pick, couldn't move the ball. He just wasn't good. And the stat line may say otherwise, but he just wasn't good. You know, the one pick doesn't help, but it, it just... He wasn't consistent, and it wasn't just Jimmy. That's one of the bigger misconceptions of that first half. Again, I told you, they had nine rushing yards in that first half. And what's the one thing Jimmy Garoppolo um, feeds off of? 
A good run game, play action, quick passes. Nothing worked. It wasn't just Jimmy. It wasn't just Jimmy. But he was a big part of it. The INT can't happen. Like, there are plays he made that just can't happen. Debo dropped some balls. It just... Nothing worked. Like, the game was over. By all means, the game was over in that first half. And if you're someone like me, who maybe might be a little more old soul in a little bit, I'm, I'm 25, but I feel like I'm 45 almost. <laughs> um, I try to rationalize everything or I try to look at the entire picture, the broader scope of things. I know many of you who listen are in your 30s and 40s. And you have life experience. You've seen hundreds and hundreds of games to go. Well, in 1980, I remember the Niners came back and were down by 25 with six minutes left and they won the game. Like, you can look at history and go, well, this game isn't over. And there's a, there's a reason why, and I'll be perfectly honest with you. I was thinking about tweeting, put Lance in. But for, and I'm not saying I have this, this telepathy, but for whatever reason it was, I didn't tweet it out. And I think it was more so of like, let, let's just see where this thing goes. Like, thinking in my head, yeah, put in Lance, but also like, you know, if they can get a field goal here or touchdown, like, and see where things go, okay. Like, and, and there was talks of Shanahan's too stubborn to pull Jimmy out. The only time he's done so was in that Dolphins game when he was hurt. And just, it was unlikely anyways. Like, you made, like, everybody was saying, you know, Shanahan deserves this. You started Jimmy. Like, this is the loss you get. And I'm sure there were plenty of people out there who were, unfortunately, were kind of happy. Of like, this is how it ends. Shanahan deserves his fire. Shanahan, trade Jimmy. Oh, whatever. And like, this kind of uh, relishing in this debacle that was that first half. But then, again, once that spark hit, they get the field goal, things turn around. Then Jimmy gets more comfortable. Kind of calms that storm. I've talked about it plenty. Kittle talked about it. Jimmy's a good football player. He might make mistakes, but he bounces back every single time. Even the INT against Tennessee, both of them, they were starting to get momentum late in that game. They just didn't have enough time because they made too many mistakes. And now, I get it. Part of this conversation remains, if you don't make that many mistakes in the first half, you aren't even in a position to make that historic 17-point comeback. And you're not wrong for making that argument. By any means, not wrong. Like, Jimmy Garoppolo made too many mistakes in that first half. The whole team did. You cannot continually dig yourself into 17 to nothing, 20 to nothing holes, whatever the score may be, and expect to win games. Expect to come back down that late. You just can't do that to yourself. Dallas will beat you. The Packers will annihilate you. Anybody. The Cardinals. The Buccaneers, you will not do that against really good teams, let alone elite quarterbacks in this league. Like, the expectation of, we can have a bad first half and come back, like, that that's not realistic. That is not realistic by any means. With that said, though, you have to give credit where it's due. That Jimmy Garoppolo, being bruised, torn UCL in his thumb chip bone in his thumb, literally just playing like utter crap, had every reason to tuck his you know, tail between his legs, take his ball and go home and say, I'm done with this, I'm playing injured, I'm trying to fight my way through the injury, I'm in immense pain, if you're Jimmy and you're saying it hurts like ex- expletive words, 
He had every reason to give up. But that's not Jimmy G. I was on Coleskin Company. I was board hopping for them. And I talked about one of the things that Trey Lance can learn from Jimmy Garoppolo. is It's the professionalism. What he learned off the field. How to handle himself off the field with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. But also that's on the field. Having to grind his way. Let's be honest here. Garoppolo likely knew there was no way in the world he was going to surpass Tom Brady as quarterback one in New England. He had to grind for four years just to get an opportunity. And in San Francisco, we know the story, right? Five great games in 2017, out for the year in 2018, a really great season in 2019, then out for a large portion of the year in 2020. Even this year, calf injury affects the lower body, really hindered him for a couple games when he came back against the Colts. This year, further down the line, torn UCL, chip bone, there is a resilient C, a resilient C in Jimmy Garoppolo that is not taught. There's a reason he was a linebacker in high school. <laughs> he's a tough, he's a warrior. Like, enough cannot be said. Like, had Jimmy, and this is the thing, there's always two sides of the story, right? Had Jimmy gotten hurt, you can say, well, you blame Shanahan, Jimmy shouldn't have played, he wasn't ready to go, the trainer should have known this. And the other half is Jimmy saying, no. I don't want to give him too much credit because, you know, let's be clear, everybody had a hand in this. The whole turnaround isn't one player. It's everybody had a hand in this. But Jimmy specifically was going to be relied upon to lead this team back. Specifically, knowing they weren't running the ball well, although it reestablished it in that second half, obviously. Had 125 yards, 124 yards in the second half. But Jimmy was going to have to be relied upon. Do the thing that many people, including myself at times, have criticized him for not being able to do. Push the ball down the field. Throw outside of the hash marks near the sideline. He did everything in that second half we had been wanting. That doesn't mean there weren't bumps in the road to get to the the end goal. The pick that Ramsey caught, which was a great catch by him, Triple coverage, Kittle tried to force it to his one of his best receivers. Bad decision, shouldn't have made it by any means. But the fact that after that INT, he was stepping up in the pocket, commanding the field, he was moving around tackles and hitting guys right on the money. He was looking like every quarterback that you would deem your franchise quarterback. That part of Jimmy that battled through the injury, battled through being down 17-0, enough cannot be said for that. The effort, the resiliency, the ability to not just bounce back, but fight and claw and bite his way back into that game. All season, we've counted them out, said he's done, he's over with, put in Lance. Lance should have started from day one. Every, almost every single time you count Jimmy Garoppolo out, he finds a way. And that is something that you want in a franchise quarterback. That's something I hope Trey Lance was watching. Eyes wide open, 
ears ready to listen the whole year. That is something you can learn from Jimmy Garoppolo. You can't be taught it, but you have to be able to observe it. The calmness, the ability to command that pocket in that moment, to not get rattled, not just being down 17 nothing, but after the pick, after going down 24 to 17, back against the wall, Jimmy Garoppolo led a five play, 88 yard game tying touchdown drive with one minute and one second left with no timeouts, a torn ligament in his throwing thumb that had a brace all week, was bandaged up during the game, and a chip bone in that same thumb. Jimmy Garoppolo, if all the moments of his past in San Francisco, all the injuries, the Super Bowl, all the moments that made us say, we need somebody else, This was and may just have been his last time reminding us there's a reason you chose me in the first place. Again, it wasn't pretty the entire time. There were mistakes to get to the end goal. But at the very end, when you needed him most, he came through. His final two drives of the game, 8 for 11, 129 yards, a touchdown, and also helped the team get in position for a game-winning field goal. If you want to know, and I've talked about it all year, the duality of Jimmy Garoppolo, an awful first half, and a good second half to secure a win, I cannot tell you how emotional I was coming into this game. Again, not crying, but knowing this may have been the final stand for Jimmy Garoppolo. At a certain point, I thought it was against Chicago. If this team could not have beaten the Bears, at that point it was, you may want to trade a player, find a couple picks, may may want to bench Jimmy. But no, no, no. Even when myself, who I would deem a Jimmy Garoppolo supporter, a fan, someone who had all along said Jimmy was going to start this year, Follow the path Shanahan, Lynch, and York laid out initially. And even this past Sunday against the Rams, I said, I think Jimmy Garoppolo's going to play. Now, I said, we we might see Trey Lance, but I said, I think Jimmy's going to play, and I think we're going to win. There was belief in my heart, in my mind, in my thought process that, look, Jimmy can do this. And if this is the last hurrah, Talk about a last freaking game. A stork comeback. Credit goes to Shanahan for sticking with Jimmy, for trusting the guy who has been the only quarterback that he's had in San Francisco to lead him to the playoffs. The only quarterback who now he is going to move off of for Trey Lance, who we all hope, who I love, who we all hope is going to be that next guy. For Shanahan to look at Jimmy dead in the eyes and say, I'm not giving up on you. For all the talk of, he doesn't trust him. He doesn't trust him outside the numbers and everything. Shanahan in that moment, the biggest moment of Shanahan's near entire tenure outside of 2019. The moment in which Shanahan could have openly decided to go to his rookie that had played well against the Texans. 
to, to literally change the course of Niner history, or at least in hopes to, of putting in Lance, Shanahan put his foot down and said, no, you've gotten us here. You're the one who got us here in 2019. You're the one who led the way in 2021. You're the one who's going to finish this thing. I believe in you, and I trust you. Jimmy Garoppolo, you're my quarterback for at least this year. Lead us to the playoffs. And look what happened. All the doubt, all the hate, all the relishing in what could have been a this awful loss, end of the era in San Francisco, now looks like one of the greatest and best wins in Niner history and arguably the greatest win in the Shanahan era in San Francisco. And easily, Jimmy Garoppolo's defining moment of the second half at SoFi Stadium. And it's all capped off with finding out that pregame, Kyle Juszczyk went up to Jimmy Garoppolo and said, Hey, Jim, not to get emotional, but I realize this could be our last time together. That this is our final regular season game. That's a direct quote from Kyle Juszczyk. He looked at Jimmy and said, This could be our last game together. And Jimmy said, It could be. Yeah, it could but their play on the field showed and proved it's not going to be. And Jimmy had a great quote, a great quote that showed you where his heart is, showed us where his head is, still, despite everything he's been through, despite trade rumors in the offseason, despite uh, Lance should start at the beginning of the year, should have been Lance from day one. Jimmy Garoppolo's quote from Albert Breer from Sports Illustrated after the game was, I love these guys. I love these players. We've been through a lot together. I just don't want this to end anytime soon. If that doesn't make you emotional about Jimmy Garoppolo or at least love or like this guy a little more, like, (laughs) I don't know what to say. I have no idea what to say. For maybe it's the first time in his entire tenure you can say, wow, Jimmy freaking Garoppolo. For myself and those who have liked him since the beginning, who he is someone who has revitalized this, this franchise, who brought a winning culture over, who helped to reestablish a winning culture with Shanahan and John Lynch. This may be his last big hoorah moment, but it's one that will at least live on forever in San Francisco 49ers history. And as we go on to next week, as we go on to play the Dallas Cowboys for the first time since the 1994 NFC title game, it's the first time that two teams with at least Five Super Bowl wins apiece will face off in the playoffs together. Imagine that. Jimmy Garoppolo and this Niners team included, because it's not just Jimmy, it's everybody involved. 
Imagine that win against the Rams, one more push. Who says you can't make a run? Who says? Manalytics, screw them. Who says that we can't beat the Cowboys? Who says that we can't continue to make history? Now, let's be realistic. We are not the best team. But when has that ever stopped Jimmy Garoppolo and this 2021 49ers team this year? We were not supposed to win on Sunday against the Rams. A 0.4 win probability, the lowest ever in next-gen stats. And what they do? They pulled it out. When has analytics and stats and predictions ever, ever detoured this team from fighting their way back this year? There is no quit in this team. There is no quit in Jimmy Garoppolo. There's no quit in Kyle Shanahan. There is no quit in Jawan Jennings. The, the identity of this team is until that clock hits zero, we're going to keep fighting. And I cannot wait for Sunday's game against the Cowboys. And I can tell you now, as we prepare for that game, to know what happens, who's playing, who's active on Sunday, who's off the COVID list. And I can tell you right now, well, Diomedo Lenore is now active off the COVID list. Some good news there. And also, Cam Inman's off the COVID list. Who covers the Niners? Great for you, Cam. Glad you're feeling better. But the Niners are going to get healthy again. Going to go in the Big D and Big Dallas. They're saying, don't bring your fans here. Dallas is terrified of what this faithful can bring to them. Let's bring it to AT&T Stadium. Who says we can't beat them? You know, the old quote from Jim Harbaugh was, who's got it better than us? Nobody. Well, that's great and all, but the question is, Who's counting us out? Everybody. ESPN says we have a 0% chance of winning the playoffs. A 0% chance. So who's counting on us? Nobody. Let's defy those odds. And let's take those stats and shove it up someone's you-know-what. And tell them their stats mean nothing. And let's go into Dallas and take down Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy. Who says we can't? With all that said, again, you're going to want to find out who's active this week, who's playing this week, how healthy is Jimmy's thumb, is Trent Williams going to be back on Sunday against the Cowboys? You're going to want to follow us on social media. 49ers.access is the Instagram. 49ers underscore access is the Twitter And until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching on Sunday. And thank you for sticking with this team. And thank you for not giving up hope. And finally, if you are buying into what this team can do. Earlier this year, I said it wasn't a Super Bowl contender. They may not be. But prove me wrong. I want to be proven wrong so bad. I cannot wait to be proven wrong. Who said it can't be us? Who said? But my name is Sterling Bennett. This has been the 49er Access Podcast. And until next time, stay faithful. Let's go.